Mac Power Users, Episode 712, Mac OS Sonoma. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined by my friend and your friend, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I am good. You doing okay, buddy? You've, you've had a busy week. <laughs> I have. Uh, yeah, I'm good. We're recording this uh, a few days after my uh, after the podcast-a-thon, and so kind of getting my bearings back, getting back into normal life. Uh, I appreciate you holding down the fort uh, here at uh, at MPU while I was away. We're always waiting for you to come back, man. We got you. Got your back. So uh, today we're going to talk about Sonoma, uh, but first we got a couple of uh, housekeeping items. Uh, first up, uh, we are at the very tail end of our St. Jude fundraiser. Uh, the fundraising page will be up through kind of the first several days of October. So if you're listening to this when it comes out, uh, you still have a little bit of time to go to stjude.org slash relay to donate. The campaign has been a massive success this year. Uh, we're so pleased with how it's gone. And I had the opportunity actually just this morning before we recorded uh, I got to go to campus and be part uh, and attend the grand opening of a new building at St. Jude called the Domino Village. And what this is, it's 140 apartments on campus for patient families to live in while they're at St. Jude. You know, I was fortunate to be in Memphis, but most families aren't. They have to travel. And sometimes that means, you know, parents are splitting up and one is coming to Memphis for treatment and the other is staying at home with the other kids. Like lots of complication. And part of that complication was caused by the fact that there wasn't housing for bigger families like like mine. We've got three kids. We're a family of five. And in the Domino's Village, there are one bedroom, two bedroom, and three bedroom suites. And there's a clinic in there and a cafeteria and like all this stuff for families to have a home away from home. So it was really special to be part of that today. And it just made me think about St. Jude's mission of not only doing cutting-edge cancer research and sharing that research and treatment around the world through St. Jude Global and other programs, but also treating the whole family and having everyone in the family be cared for. So it was neat to be a part of that, and for me, a nice like emotional cap to the, uh, to the fundraiser. Yeah, and you know, I was just thinking how you get this terrible news. Your kid's sick, right? And then you're going to go get treatment somewhere else, but you got to figure out where you're going to stay and like, it's just so great that they they handle all that for you because I feel like in that situation I would have no capacity to like figure that stuff out. You know, I'd only be thinking about my child, and I love that they they, they just take care of it all for people. And uh, I don't know, it's really cool. It, there's not enough in the world that we can all get behind, but Saint Jude is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So yeah, so go head on over stjude.org/relay. It's the uh, top link in the show notes. Uh, this is kind of the final call. So if you have not donated, now is the time. And if you do donate and your company does uh, gift matching or you want to do like a donor advised fund giving, there's a bunch of options there on that page. It'll walk you all through it. In the meantime, Apple has released a new Mac operating system, macOS Sonoma. Uh, now it is legal and proper for me to have it on my computer when I podcast, even though it's <laughs> already been on my computer for a little while. But yeah. Nice. Uh, so it's out, gang. Uh, hopefully by this time, you've had a chance to download it and kick the tires. Um, there's a lot of features to cover and some stuff we've been experimenting with, so we thought it'd be fun today 
to kind of share our thoughts and uh, favorite new features and tips for using Sonoma. Yeah, we've we've both been spending time with it through the beta cycle. You went uh, hard on your main machine earlier than I did. Uh, I installed it on the day that it came out after having it in beta. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in Sonoma, right? There's there's this tension that I feel like has been in macOS for a long time where there are years that it's basically just getting what the rest of the ecosystem is getting to kind of move the ball forward across like notes, you know, across all the platforms, reminders, all the platforms. But then there are years where the Mac gets special attention and it gets maybe something that's elsewhere in the ecosystem, but like in a Mac way. And there's some of that this year, especially I think with desktop widgets, which of course we're going to cover in a few minutes. Um, so it's an interesting year. And it's it's also a year where Apple has moved the tech requirements once again. So they have been, the last several releases, slowly cutting out Intel machines. And uh, this runs on, uh, basically, if you have a laptop from 2018 or later, and then desktops from like 2018, 2019. Uh, if you go to the Sonoma page in the show notes, you can see the, the requirements there. But that does leave some machines behind. It is not Apple Silicon only, even though there are features that are Apple Silicon only, but it is the steady march of time, right? We're now into, you know, 2019 iMacs and 2018 Mac minis, like pretty close to the end of the Intel era. I would expect maybe we get one to two more years of releases that support these machines, but the day is coming that Mac OS updates are Apple Silicon only. And that's, uh, you know, that's a painful part of the transition, right? We had that with PowerPC to Intel. You know, Snow Leopard dropped PowerPC machines pretty quick. Apple's, I think, already beaten that time with uh, Mac OS today. There's a lot more Intel machines, obviously, than there ever were Power P- PowerPC machines. But it's something to be mindful of, that if you have an Intel Mac, in some ways, the clock uh, the clock has begun ticking. Yeah, and it, even though it, they've beat the record, it still feels like it's awfully soon for those computers yeah. to stop working. But, you know... All in the name of progress. And I do think that, you know, being able to write for a single chip is probably of great benefit to Apple. Mm -hmm. But either way, uh, we are good now, probably for another year or two. Um, But if you own an Intel Mac, uh, I have good news and bad news. (laughs) You're going to need to buy a new computer pretty soon if you want to keep up with the latest and greatest. But you are going to love your new computer just buy, you know, no matter what you're coming from, if, if you wait till M3, buy the, the lowest end Mac mini and it's going to run circles of, around whatever you are mm-hmm. leaving. So uh, <laughs> you have something to look forward to. Uh, I mean, I just, I, I still am just wowed by Apple Silicon. It's, I, you know, you would think after a couple of years that you get over it, but for some reason I can't. It's just such a great, it's like such a renaissance for the Mac. But anyway. Uh, we have a section in the outline called the normal boilerplate. Yeah. And I think we could, we could go back if we could cop and copy and paste something from like episode 10 of Mac power users, whenever mm-hmm. the last first time we covered, but let's go ahead. Everybody just sing, sing along with me. Make sure your stuff will work with Sonoma. Go on the web. If you've got a, um, an app that's a unique app, like if you work in music industry or do a lot of audio stuff, that there's a lot of those apps that are very specific, check them out go on the web by this time people have already figured out whether or not they work on sonoma if you need those apps to work in order to make your living don't upgrade you know mm-hmm. 
do a good backup, right? Uh, I, you know, there's a question. We can't really do clones the way we used to do them, but you could still just plug in carbon copy cloner or super duper and just duplicate your drive. So you've got your data there. Make sure your time machine is all good. It's been working good. I haven't heard really any reports of people getting hosed by the update, but I'm sure there are some that have and uh, just be careful. But uh, you know, that's just, we're going to say that every year, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, it's, um, it's been a pretty solid year for me too. I was basically waiting on rogue amoebas apps and they had those ready to go towards the end of the beta cycle even. But yeah, uh, if you're making your money with your Mac, just be mindful. Um, for everyone else, you know, if you're just kind of using the built-in stuff and Chrome and, you know, sort of mainstream apps, you're going to be, you're going to be just fine, but it's definitely a good opportunity. Even if you're not necessarily worried about the upgrade, I tend to treat macOS updates as just like a time of the year. Like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, revisit my backup strategy. Like, is that is this still working the way that I want it to? And uh, mine passed muster, so I hit the button. And here we are on uh, on macOS 14, which is weird to say. <laughs> I, I, I can't ever get the numbers straight, but macOS 14 yeah. is, uh, is Sonoma. And uh, I think we're going to get into it here. Can I do a quick ask the genius question? Sure. Just literally this morning, I started getting an error message on my time machine backup saying it can't back up a specific file. It gives me the name of the file. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't have time to deal with it because we're getting ready to make a show. My plan is to hunt that file down and delete it. Yeah. If you were sitting at the genius bar and someone came in with that error, is that what, what would you do in that case? I mean, I would want to know why it was failing. Chances are it's locked or there's some like weird permission issue on that file. Yeah. And I'd want to know why that had happened. But if it's something that's not important, yeah, you could you could get rid of it and just uh, move on. Yeah, no worries. It, it's just a uh, it's called, um, you know, password database or something like that. I'm just going to delete it. Delete oh, that. yeah. I'm sure I'm sure nothing bad will happen. <laughs> <laughs> Nuclear secrets. Just delete it. Yeah. Why is it in a markdown document, man? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't. It's funny because I never have time machine errors and Mm -hmm. I've been running one for years. And uh, it just I thought it was funny. Literally, as I'm I'm working on the outline for today's show, it popped up. And then I just I looked at I'm like, oh, I'll deal with this later. And then now it's nagging me. It's starting to show up repeatedly, you know, because time machine runs often. And uh, I thought, oh, wait a second. I'm going to talk to a genius today. I'll do that publicly. Yeah, very retired genius. Yeah, but still, you know, the um, I feel like the um, troubleshooting steps don't really change that much, even if the tech does. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it's just a weird permissions thing, and if it's just a one off, then I wouldn't let it keep you up at night. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by One Password for Business. Go to onepassword.com/mpu and get twenty percent off to start protecting your business today. Every day, the bad guys are hacking and taking advantage of businesses all over the world. And so often, that is preventable by a solid security system like you can get with 1Password. 1Password takes the guesswork out of logins, shadow IT, and infrastructure secrets so you can keep your people safe and your business moving. 1Password makes strong security easy for all of your team members and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. With 1Password for business, you can monitor password health, 
potential breaches, and team usage from a unified insights dashboard and take action when you need to. No longer do you need to be writing down passwords and unsecured documents or, God forbid, sticky pads. With 1Password, you can autofill and securely share logins, two-factor codes, and security questions, and much more. So the secure thing to do is always the easy thing to do. You can also customize all the policies in one place, where you create, manage, and enforce policies to govern how and where employees use 1Password at scale. It's fully compliant, data encrypted at rest and in transit, audit logs, customizable access policies, And the best thing about 1Password is that it is designed to protect you. Secure by design, private by default, and verified by experts. With 1Password, you're getting a security partner that will help you protect yourself and your business. Trusted by over 100,000 businesses like IBM, Slack, Intercom, GitLab, and Under Armour. Check out 1Password today and go to onepasswordcom slash MPU to get 20% off. Thank you, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. I think we should start with the most visual of changes, and I think the one that people will honestly find the most interesting, and that is desktop widgets. So for years, widgets have been trapped in notification centers. So you go click the clock in the upper right-hand corner, And you would get a little stack of three notifications and then you get widgets underneath. And that's still there. So if you don't like this feature, and honestly, that may be me. I'm not quite sure yet how I feel about it, even after using it all summer. Uh, You still have widgets in in the notification center sort of off screen, but you can now put them on your desktop. And when we say on your desktop, we mean it. It's the same layer as files and folders. In fact, when you go to move widgets around, they files and folders will move out of the way. They, they interact. They're on the same plane. They're on the same Z-axis, if you will. And that's a really interesting way of doing it because until this point, the iPhone and iPad home screen, its counterpart on the Mac was Launchpad, which I don't know how many people used. But now Apple's kind of saying, well, the desktop on the Mac is sort of like the home screen on the iPhone and iPad. Even though they are different, Apple treats them very differently, they now have this thing in common. And the the outcome of it is, is that you can see your widgets basically all the time. And we're going to talk about how you get to them and sort of how they work. But I think I think this is the biggest addition from a, a user perspective. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, well, I mean, this is something that you and I have been talking about for years. In fact, at one point, I think you used the word cowards for them not letting us put the (laughs) widgets on the desktop. So if you decide not to use them, I'm going to definitely throw that back at you. Yeah, well, (laughs) I think, so, I mean, I can jump to the end. I think dashboard was a better idea than this. I find them to be a bit bit distracting on the desktop. Okay, well, let's go through it. Okay, um... There's so much to talk about widgets. I really feel like this was the year of widgets across the board because they got interactive and they, they became a, a unit of programming or an application unit that Apple is now using everywhere. You know, uh, we talked about standby mode with Merlin last week and standby mode is a huge thing. But you know what it is when you put it in standby mode and you put your phone on your desk and suddenly you see a little calendar or a little podcast thing? That's a widget. They're all widgets. And 
they're interactive now and they made these interactive widgets work everywhere, including on your screen. So I can go on my OmniFocus widget and click a button and something gets marked as done without me going in the app. Or, uh, you know, I can go into timery and change a timer. It's all, I think it's really great. But the whole mechanic of it is, you know, something that I'm sure they spent a lot of time on, but it it needs some explanation. Um, So it's a grid-based system but it's what I would call a flexible grid. The very first widget you put is important because wherever you put that, anything you put around it is going to align based on where it is located. So it's not a pre-existing grid you're working on. It's just looking for nearby widgets and aligning to them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I do want to point out that is a little bit different than how the home screen works because... In the on the iPhone and iPad, you're always sort of starting in the upper right hand or the upper left hand corner, excuse me, like on a new home screen. But this gives you more flexibility, which I think is proper for the Mac. Yeah, exactly. It's on the Mac, it should be. And like if you have groupings of widgets, like let's say you got productivity on one side, information on another, they don't have to really align with each other so long as there's enough distance between them, but they in their groupings they align which i i think is pretty cool and um uh the other thing that they did that is interesting is they did not make them like monochrome or like blend into the background what they did is they made them full colored widgets and when you're on your desktop they light up like a christmas tree mm-hmm. but then when you do not have focus on them then they transition to a transparent monochrome where you can kind of see the desktop behind it and this is a setting. If you go into uh, dock and desktop, you can you can say make them always monochrome. Like I was thinking earlier when you were saying it's a little too much for you, I would maybe just try to make them always monochrome so they never light up and maybe you'll be more attracted to them. Um, but the idea is the apps that are important to you that give you the information you want, uh, you can put on your desktop. I've got a clock here for California and one for London, because I, I, I podcast with the Rosemary and I can never figure out what time it is. For you, I know it's just plus two. That's easy. But mm-hmm. for London, it's a little harder for me. And I've got the air quality. I've got the calendar. I've got, you know, I've got stuff up here. And I have been finding through the beta that I actually kind of find it useful. And occasionally when I'm in an app and I want to check something, I can just... um expand you know do the the thing on the trackpad where you take all your fingers and put them together and like splay them apart and that you know that that allows you to get straight to your desktop and hide all your apps and i can check something really quickly and then close it they update on time i mean i think overall uh kudos to apple i feel like the there was a lot of ways they could implement this i think that they waited intentionally until they had active widgets that you could interact with before they did it on the Mac, but I think they, I think the implementation is spot on. Yeah. I I think all that is good. And I I think Apple did a good bit of thinking about how to integrate it sort of into the Mac experience. Like you said, it has, it has these two modes. Uh, You can use these and not like blow up your folder and file structure on your desktop. If you're a person who uses a lot of that. And it also, uses UI elements that are familiar. So obviously the widgets are basically, they are the same widgets that are on iOS and iPadOS. So we're going to talk about iPhone widgets in a second in particular. But even the pickers, like what widgets do I want? That's straight off iOS and iPadOS. So people are going to be familiar with this. 
And if you have things that you want access to everywhere, now you can do it without having to go into notification center. In fact, I bet a lot of Mac users didn't even know that was over there because it's like hidden behind the clock and a kind of a weird, a weird thing. So widgets can be supplied by Mac apps, but they can also be supplied via continuity to an i from an iPhone. So if your iPhone is on the same Wi-Fi network or nearby, then any widgets on your iPhone are available to your Mac to have on your desktop. Now, this does not apply to the iPad. My sort of guess there is, like, if you're going to pick one, pick the iPhone. That's where most people are spending most of their time. There is a little bit of conflict there, and John Voorhees wrote about this in his macOS review for Mac Stories. I'll have his and Jason Snell's reviews linked in the show notes. But John points out that if you have a Mac app and its iPhone companion, you can meet a situation where they both offer widgets and they may act a little bit differently. But overall, I love the idea and the concept of bringing iPhone widgets to the Mac. And in fact, I think it'll be probably much more successful than they've than it's been to bring iPad and iPhone apps straight over. You know, developers who aren't using something like Mac Catalyst where you can just run your iPhone app directly on the Mac. This is kind of a better way of doing that. And I, I, I think a lot of people are going to find that really useful. Yeah, and that confusion, the iPhone versus Mac um, widgets, I think was worse earlier in the beta because they didn't really have... An indicator. Sometimes you would just see two sets and not know which is which. Yeah, you just take yeah. a guess. But they 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 clean that up. Like for instance, an app that has a single build on two platforms. Dark Noise is an example. I have the Mac version. I have the iPhone version. If I go to it in the widget selection in the upper right, it says on this Mac or from iPhone. So I, it's very clear where I'm getting it. Um, as a general rule, I would say always get it from the Mac. Yeah. I mean, why would you want? your device to have to go to another device to get information to fill a widget. It's just, you know, that's going to be a delay. What if you leave your phone in the next room? It's just, I just think that if there's an app only on your iPhone that has a widget that you really want, go for it. I think that's a bonus feature. But if, if you have a choice, always get the local one. Yeah. Um, and then uh, day one has two different apps for iPhone and iPad. So the way theirs works is there's two sets, you know, and one of them says from iPhone and one of them doesn't say anything because it doesn't, it's, it's not smart enough to know, Hey, there's another version here from the iPhone. Um, so there's work to be done there. Um, and I totally agree with John that it, it can be confusing, but my advice is just clearly get the one from the Mac yeah. unless you have a really good reason to get the one from the iPhone. But, but again, I don't really feel that is it, that's just an extra feature they added um to to convenience people that can only get that really want a widget that's only on the phone okay i get that um the uh one of my uh rough sticky points is i make a living screencasting and as cool as it is to have my entire life on widgets i don't want them in the background of every video i shoot now um i believe early in the beta there was no way to toggle it so i would make the widgets then i'd delete them all shoot it and then I'd make them again. But then at some point they added a toggle and it, it was in the desktop and de dock settings. Again, you go in there and you can um, toggle them on or off. So they all disappear. So if you install them and you decide, you know, I'm not sure I like these things, you can just go toggle them off. You don't have to delete them all. And then if you decide to try it again, you can. But the problem is there is no keyboard shortcut for that. The only way to do it is 
open settings, click on d- desktop and dock, scroll down in the menu, find the menu, find the touch target or the, <laughs> the, the, the click target, click the target. You know, that's the kind of stuff that makes me want to throw a brick through the window. So I, uh, I of course wanted to automate it and I, um, I, I got into it, you know, I got into, I have tools to look at the, these app dictionaries. There's no dictionary entry for those properties concerning widgets. I think it's probably because they just shipped it and they probably haven't had time yet. But then I, I contacted our old friend, Sal Sagoyan and he, <laughs> uh, he helped me and we put together a script. I, I published it on Max Sparky. I'll put a link to it in the, um, in the notes here, but it's an Apple script that toggles it. So you can just add it to your uh, keyboard maestro, your shortcut, wherever you trigger Apple scripts, fast scripts, and you just push a button and it does it. So for me, when I go to screencast now, one of the things of many it does is it turns off my, my desktop widgets. But uh, that was a long story. But it, I feel like, you know, when they do these features, they should have keyboard shortcuts and stuff for it yeah. because – there are people who are going to want to toggle this stuff off and on. Like I was thinking, what if you have a workplace and you don't want all this stuff on your screen when you walk away from your desk? I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of good reasons to to want to turn these off sometimes. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, one thing that is tied into this is a new behavior in Mac OS where if you click the wallpaper, it, basically fires the expose command to like fling all your windows to the side so you can see the desktop and uh i don't know how you feel about that i found that to be really (laughs) disruptive to the way that i work yeah in fact i remember seeing that thinking steven is gonna hate this i hate it i hate it uh you can turn it off so in system settings desktop and dock well i say you can turn it off you can say basically do it all the time or do it when you're in stage manager. Uh, I never use stage manager, so I have it set that way and it's fine. Um, some people I think will like that. I think some people will really, Sonoma really change their relationship with the desktop and it'll be more of a destination for them as they're going about their day. Uh, I don't want it, so I turned it off and I'm glad that's there, but you that may surprise, it surprised me when I first installed Sonoma on my beta machine like my beta machine it's like what is this like what why is yeah. this happening uh but you may dig it i think a lot of people will like it clearly apple thinks so because they've made it the default and you get a little tip that shows up if you know if you don't like it how to turn it off but if you are if, if you've been wondering why sometimes your windows are flying away and you haven't worked it out that's that's what's going on yeah, I haven't decided yet. I, I tried it whenever they do these new things. I try to stick with it for a while. Last year, I left Stage Manager, turned on for like three months, and eventually left it. Now I'm playing with it again because it's been a year. But I do think that that it's it's a different behavior, which is going to cause problems, especially for longtime Mac users. Like, what, mm-hmm. why is this happening? You know. But overall, I, I feel like I'm more positive on the widgets than you are. I, I, I like them. And I am using them and I do find myself referring to them. You know, it's like uh, one of the ones I have, my wife and I share location with each other. And when she leaves work, I've got a little widget that shows that, you know, she just left Disneyland. I'm like, great. Now I can get dinner ready. So when she gets home, we're ready to eat, you know? And so it just, it's kind of nice. I don't know. I like having the weather up there all the time. Uh, I guess I should share what I'm doing with them. Uh, So on the left side, I have, 
kind of my productivity stack where I've got um, the super big fantastic owl widget that has the month calendar and the running day calendar, you know, since I time block, that is actually quite helpful. Uh, I have two of the large size widgets from OmniFocus. One of them shows the, I think they call it the perspective list where it's got the stuff by day. And then the one, uh, a specific perspective where I keep the hot stuff. Um, I've been using notes a lot lately. We're going to do a show on it. So I've been trying to like get my arms around it. So I've got that up now as a widget and, and timery, which is my, uh, you know, my active time tracker. So that's what I kind of call my productivity stack. And because I have a giant monitor, I have this luxury of being able to do this. And then over on the right side, I've got a much smaller stack where I keep the weather um, read wise day one and a little thing for Daisy, which is not creepy that I know where my wife is. I'm just trying to figure out when she leaves work. Okay. Don't, don't email me. (laughs) Mine so far, uh, a couple of weather widgets and the photo memory widget. I'm a sucker. Any place I can have that widget, I want it. So it's like it's on my phone, it's on my iPad, it's on my Mac. And then I've been using reminders during the beta period. So I've got a reminders widget there. And then uh, a couple for Timery, the, the time tracking app that I use. And I, I kind of want to clarify my position. I'm not against them. I just think they're in the wrong place. I would like it to be an overlay yeah. like it used to be. But... These are all just like on iOS 17, they're interactive. So you can go through and like start a timer from your desktop. You know, timer is great because you can do keyboard shortcuts and have the Mac and the menu bar app and all these things. But now I can just zip over to my desktop and start start and stop a timer, right? If you have uh, a weather widget that's interactive, if you have a task manager, you can check off your things throughout your day and just like on the iPhone and iPad, because they're interactive, they lend themselves to these really quick interactions. And that is super smart. And we're in the early days of interactive widgets. Like iOS 17 has been like a week and a half or something. So it will continue to evolve. But uh, something that that Federico wrote in his iOS review was that interactive widgets are another way that apps are sort of being broken down into their constituent parts. And yeah. I think yeah. that's a good thing from a user perspective because then we can move more freely between our tasks throughout the day. And that is pretty sweet. While you were talking, I just went ahead and switched mine to full monochrome. So I'm going to just now, now I'm going to try that for a while. Just they're not going to be color at all. They're always going to be monochrome. And yeah. just looking at it, it is a lot less intrusive, even Definitely. when you're working with them. And uh, so that may be something you want to check out if, yeah. if it's bothering you. Yeah, I need to I need to look at that, especially with the photo widget. Like, is that going to make me sad? But uh, I do think oh, that's. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure it would work with the widget. Yeah. yeah, but I do think that's um, probably uh, a little bit nicer of an experience. Um, I also think it's a nicer experience when you have a a big monitor. Right? You mentioned your multiple columns of widgets. You know, I'm on a 27 inch display, but when I'm on my MacBook Pro, it does feel a little bit tighter. It's fine. But I do think your use and like the number of widgets you settle on is pretty dependent on your screen size. Yes. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I've played with them on the 13 inch and it's a very different experience. So I'm not sure if I'm going to keep mini at all on my laptop because it's just so little. I was just thinking though, do you think Johnny Ive is loading these widgets on his, uh, on his Mac right now? 
Yeah. I, I think he's probably so clean and minimal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> who knows what that guy's doing there was something in the news the other day like he's gonna work with open ai on something like yeah who knows, who knows yeah. what's going on over there yeah but I, I just feel like this is not something he would like really want but i don't know i, I never met the guy how do i know right maybe he's yeah. using them all me me neither okay well that was the big feature yeah. widgets yeah check them out make your own decision make play with them decision. And I think like so many other features that we've talked about in the last however many years we've been doing this, what it is today will evolve as third-party developers continue to adopt it, right? So you may go to the widget thing on your Mac now, but gosh, there's not many things in here. Give us some time. Uh, I think yeah. that for the really for the first time, Mac developers are, are incentivized to have widgets because before they were locked away notification centers, like, you know, People didn't care about them as much. But now, I think if you are a developer and you have a Mac app, this is kind of something you got to do. And if you don't have a Mac app, then continuity gets your widgets over there. And hey, that's fine You know, if you have iPhone widgets. But this, I think this is going to be something that Mac users expect from Mac apps in the next few years. And so... Uh, this will continue to grow and evolve like so many other things in the Apple ecosystem. The other thing, though, I would say is I really like and respect that they left the sidebar, right? I don't have anything in mind. I've gone all in with the desktop thing, as you do when something's brand new. Yeah. Maybe someday I'll put some back. But I I think that they left the option there. So I think there are a lot of people that like that sidebar, and they're not, they don't want the widget on their desktop. And you know, Apple of past years may not have done that. They would have said, no, no, this is the new way that's gone now. And they didn't do that. I, I like that. This episode of MPU is brought to you by TailScale. Human scale teams build trusted networks by securely connecting their devices with TailScale. With TailScale, you can do a bunch of things like connect to Home Assistant to check on your place while you're away. Stream movies, shows, or music anywhere from your NAS using Plex or Jellyfin. Plus, you can access a pie hole from anywhere and secure your connection when you're on a Wi-Fi network that maybe you don't totally trust. And you can now sign into Telscale using your Apple ID. So if you prefer your credentials handled that way, it's there ready for you. Plus, you can use a passkey to authenticate to your Telscale account, which is super cool. That means that you can use Touch ID or Face ID for a super fast sign-in. Once you're connected, you can use TailDrop to move files between a MacBook, a phone, an iPad, Linux VMs, Docker containers, Steam Deck, and even PCs. And if you're looking to share your work more widely, TailScale Funnel makes it easier than ever to share your local development over the internet for collaboration, testing, and experimentation. You can receive a webhook from GitHub, share a local service with a coworker, and even host your personal blog or status page from your own computer. TailScale Funnel is a secure way to expose your environment at a stable URL over the internet, complete with auto-provision TLS certificates. Use it from the command line or the new VS Code extension, which is super cool, and with a few keystrokes, you can securely expose a local port to the internet right from your IDE. TailScale has clients for macOS, iOS, Windows, Linux, and Android. Their free plan includes three users and 100 devices. Head on over to Tailscale, that's T-A-I-L-S-C-A-L-E, 
tailscale.com slash MPU to build your team's trusted network today. That link is in the show notes. And if you're interested in working at Tailscale, they're currently hiring a macOS engineer. Navigate to their careers page to learn more. Our thanks to Tailscale for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right. Uh, we also got a bunch of improvements with communications. I feel like the the bounty of communications from COVID continues to roll in from Apple. Yeah. You know, they everything got better and then last year and now i think the parts they weren't able to finish last year they got out this year mm-hmm. um the, there seems to be a lot you know the uh messages you know i really feel like the big benefit to messages was the iphone which we didn't get to talk about too much last week with merlin but i i feel like all the stuff with messages the the better user interface the stickers all that stuff i think is really nice um to a lesser extent it shows up on the mac yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Messages is a catalyst app, but they don't bring everything over all the time. So you can use your stickers you've created elsewhere, but you can't make them on the Mac. But my favorite thing in messages did come to the Mac, and that is catch up. And so if you're in a noisy iMessage thread that maybe you have the notifications off because the friends you have in Europe talk a lot and you can't keep up during the day, Theoretically, this is a, a situation I'm in. Catch up lets you <laughs> basically scroll back to the last thing you saw. And it is a lifesaver in noisy message threads. Uh it's it's a it's a great feature. And one clearly that it came out of how people use messages in the real world with with big groups. I do think it's important that Apple keep pushing on messages. It's very important for them especially in North America. Other markets, it's not as universal as it is here, but they're doing stuff every year with it. And while um, I'm a little bummed, like the secret creation didn't come to the Mac, I also kind of get why. And, you know, my iPhone's right there. So that's that's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. But I do like that sticker feature. It's so awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. But let's talk about video conferencing because that is something I feel like the Mac really... Uh, had some benefits this year they um they built i guess you would call it a framework for video conferencing giving you a bunch of features that can be used across your mac in different applications where you're doing uh you know video conferencing like the uh they've done camera features they've done microphone features they've got different ways now that you can can use your stuff uh, you and I did a call before we recorded today where we, we were been using our, uh, our our various cameras and checking it all out with each yeah. other. In, in Zoom, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So this is system level. So if you have a microphone or a camera that's active, you get a new badge in the menu bar. And if you click it, you get uh, you can see what's accessing it. And you have some different modes. So with a microphone on an Apple Silicon machine, you can pick between standard and voice isolation. But if you have video, then you get a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Some of it is dependent on the hardware you have. So I have a studio display, so I I get some some features that not everyone else has. But uh, you can set like portrait mode where it blurs the background. You can turn on studio lighting, which just is like studio lighting on the iPhone. You kind of look look nicer. 
I guess. It's a little cheesy. Well, I mean, the, it, what it does is it, it deals with poor lighting, right? So yeah. if you are like dark and the background is really light, it will inverse that to make you look a little better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not going to, you're much better off having a window or a light in front of you than, than using this feature. But if you're on a conference call and that's not an option, at least you've got this, yeah. you know? Yeah. The fun one is reactions. And there are eight of them, and they they went to watch your hands. Like if I do a thumbs up on our video, it is like a thumbs up bubble over my head. If I do two thumbs down, it's like raining and, and emo over my face. The gesture tracking isn't perfect. Like we've had kind of mixed luck with it in our testing, but they're fun. And if you're on a call with like eight other people, you can just like do a thumbs up and you get a big thumbs up icon over your face. Like that's useful. Um, I think there's a lot of etiquette stuff that'll have to be worked out there. Like if I'm doing fireworks on a call, like I really want to make sure it's the right time on the call to do fireworks, but it's, uh, it's all there. Yeah. I could see that. Like just when they announce layoffs, you accidentally have your thumb up and that's bad. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Interestingly, it, it works across all these platforms too. Cause Steve and I were doing our testing in zoom, not yeah. in uh, Apple software, you know, mm-hmm. and it just works across the board. And I thought that was really cool. And my guess is that there wasn't a lot of work that zoom had to do. Cause zoom is not a company that usually adopts this stuff super quick. So I think it's just, like you said, a system level feature that is uh, giving us all these additional benefits They've also got the feature, and I forget the name of it right now, but it is called, uh, it's where you can put your face when you're sharing screen. You can put your face on the screen. Yeah, this is a presenter overlay. And what it's doing is combining a bunch of different things. So if you're doing a screen share from this new menu bar applet, you can more easily pick the window you want to share. People may remember that was an API that was actually added last year uh, for things like OBS and Streamlabs. Like if you're streaming from the Mac, that got a lot better. So you can share, like say you're sharing a, a PDF with me or you're sharing your screen, then you your head can be like in the video. Um, you can be in front of it. You can be full size. You can have you as like a little floating head bubble in the corner. It's... um. It's kind of an extension of the idea like the old iChat theater way back in the day, but it kind of putting you and your content in the video call. I mean, you're doing it right now. And again, we're in Zoom. Uh, so the Apple has made this available to to third parties. Yeah. And the overlay is okay. I mean, I think like I have a, a bunch of wood behind me with a texture on it. So uh, it's not really getting my cutout as good as I think it should in this day and age. But uh, it's you know it's it's a nice feature and if you do a lot of presenting you know why not mm-hmm. it's interesting to me like features like this you wonder like will they still be used in a year like the other day uh, i asked my daughter a question and she sent me back a memoji where she was a cow answering my question <laughs> and it was so funny to me and but i hadn't seen anybody do that to me in like a year yeah. you know and uh, that's the thing is they add these features that look great on stage i mean um what is why do sometimes these things take off and why do the sometimes they don't? I'm not really sure. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't know either. Um these features are also coming at a time where companies, including Apple, are pushing return to office. Like this feels like something that, you know, took a little more time to get out than maybe they maybe they wanted, but 
I really like that it's not just locked to FaceTime. I like that we opened Zoom today. We're not running, y'all, we're not running some sort of like top secret Zoom beta, right? We're just like on the same Zoom as everybody else. And this stuff is there. And that yeah. I think was a really smart way of handling it. I love that it's in the menu bar. So I can see very easily what's accessing my microphone and my camera at any given time. So I think there's like a, there's a privacy angle to that too, which I really, I really like that story. While these features aren't things I'm going to use day to day, I think they're all well done. And I think for some people, it's going to make a, a big difference in how they work, especially the presenter overlay. And and I would also say that, you know, the people I know that have fancy jobs that work at big companies, Zoom is here to stay. Even, even though people are going back to work, there's always somebody that's remote working or oh, yeah. even in a big building, they're using Zooms uh, just to keep everybody at their desk. So it is absolutely something that needs mm-hmm. to happen. It also puts an exclamation point on these bad cameras in the Apple displays. I feel like when you add features like this, just think how much better they would be if Apple spent another $5 <laughs> on the camera, you know? Yep. Uh, there is always that for sure. Yeah. I, I think that's going to get fixed. I feel like it's going to become a selling point and it's not just Apple. A bunch of companies are going to start really trying to put some money into the cameras and the laptops and the displays because it's just become such a fact of life these days. Yeah. I think the uh, the last thing to sort of lump into communication improvements is the screen sharing app has gotten uh, some nice improvements this year. It's been around forever. You can use it, for instance, in, a, in an uh, iMessage conversation. You can ask somebody to share the screen. But the big difference is that in Apple on Apple Silicon machines, you can now stream higher quality images. So if you need something, if you need to do something with like fine text, or maybe you're bringing in a remote Mac to share in a presentation or something, that high performance mode means it's going to look a lot better and be more responsive. And I've been playing with that because I have that headless Mac, or it's attached to my TV, but it's effectively a headless Mac Mini, and it's de- noticeably better. That is Apple Silicon only, but if you're in that world and you do a lot of screen sharing, uh, this definitely makes it makes it a lot nicer. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. Get your Mac as good as new today. Go to macpaw.app/mpu and get Clean My Mac X for five percent off. I have a monthly checklist. Of course, I do. I'm Mac Sparky and. One of the things on that list for me is to run Clean My Mac X. Clean My Mac X is now 15 years old with over 30 million downloads. I think I downloaded it in the very first month it was released, and I just love this app. I used to have all of these terminal commands I ran and all these checklists I would go through to clean my Mac. I, I don't do any of that anymore. I just run Clean My Mac X. No matter what the problem is with your Mac, Clean My Mac X hunts it down. Junk files, hung processes, and malicious apps have no chance against CleanMyMac X. Whether old or new, CleanMyMac X keeps your Mac running at peak performance. And one of the things I love about it is that they don't stand still. They keep adding features. As Apple matures the operating systems and brings new features, CleanMyMac X also brings features to make sure that nothing gets out of control with that stuff. System junk, check. Mail attachments, trash bins malware removal, privacy optimizations. They've got a great built-in uninstaller, and the Space Lens feature is really great for hunting down abusers of space. We all have these SSDs. 
We want to make sure we preserve as much space on them as possible. It is easy for modern apps and data to take over a big chunk without you realize it. SpaceLens solves that problem for you. And when you decide you want to get rid of something off your Mac, they even have a shredder to make sure it is really gone. The two big reasons I love the app is that it does the job without any fuss, and it's made by developers I trust. And like I said, the first of every month, Clean My Mac X does the job for me. You can get 5% off right now. Just go to macpaw.app slash MPU. Once again, that's macpaw.app slash MPU to get 5% off Clean My Mac X and start protecting yourself. Now, it's also part of Setup, and MacPaw is the same people behind the Setup service. So if you want to go ahead and sign up for Setup, you get Clean My Mac X with a lot of their other apps too for a monthly fee. Either way, if you're looking for a safe and secure way to keep your Mac clean, look no further. Clean My Mac X. So let's move on to some productivity improvements. And could you tell us a little bit about some of the new text features in Sonoma? Yeah, I say, can I go first? Yes, this is all you, man. Yeah, I, you know, text for me is my lifeblood, is for a lot of people. And I feel like we got just a list of things. This started in the outline as like different entries. And I realized this is all text related. Let's just put it all together. So there's so much. Uh, First, inline predictive text when you type. Uh, if you're listening to the show and you've already downloaded it, you've already experienced this because the very first time you start typing, it starts suggesting words to complete whatever you're typing. It's using an algorithm, uh, you know, blah, 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 artificial intelligence, although they're not going to say it to, uh, to, to do predictive text. So all you do is you hit the space bar and it finishes the word that it suggested. And more often than not, it gets it right. So it's speeding up your typing. If you tap the globe key on an Apple keyboard, an inline emoji picker will appear with the emoji suggestions based on what you're writing. If you don't want to, if you don't want the suggested emoji, just click the drop down arrow and the full character viewer shows up. But yeah. again, it's usually right. It gets the idea as you're going through. Um, here's a simple one, all caps indicator. If you have the all caps button on, and I didn't realize this till late in the beta because I map my caps key to the hyper key, hmm. but I, I had better touch tool turned off. And then all of a sudden caps was locked and you could see a, a little all caps indicator right at the cursor. I'm like, well, you know what? We've been using computers now, what, 40 years. Yeah. How come we never thought of that before? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, it's literally forehead smacking that that has not been there for, I mean, I can't think of a reason why this hasn't existed for 30 years, but, but now we have it. And if you don't have a hyper key and you hit the all caps, you're going to get it. Um, uh, but then we get to the part that really gets me excited is just dictation took, took a big leap this year. Um, they're using a transformer engine. They redid the underlying dictation engine and it's so good. I was dictating this morning to day one. I did like a seven paragraph entry and there was not a mistake. It got the entire thing yeah. right. And I've done blog posts and it's just like, it's just got so good. And not only is it good at your dictation, but now it does mixed dictation and typing at the same time. So you can dictate a bit, then type something and then just pick up dictating and it figures it out as it goes along. And, you know, this stuff can always get better. I, every time I mention this, doctors and lawyers are going to write in. I've been using Dragon. It's not there yet. It's so it's just getting so good. Um, 
there are things that could get better at. I, I still really wish they would have a custom vocabulary builder. And I think the argument they're making is that it's artificial intelligence and it'll, it'll build it for you as you use it. But I would like to be able to add, you know, uh, pronouns and, and unique uh, vocabulary. So it knows that I'm going to use that stuff a lot. But uh, other than that, it's, it's just so good. And I, um, and I really recommend trying it out the next time you need to do some, some typing, why not hit the little microphone button on your Mac's keyboard and to see how it goes. Yeah. They've done a good job with that across the ecosystem this year. I mean, I'm using dictation a lot more, particularly on my iPhone and it's not nearly as frustrating. And even the feature, and I think they added it last year where you could dictate and type sort of like intermixed uh, on the iPhone and the iPad, like the, the cursor inset like looks nicer. It's like easier to tell where the cursor is yeah. going to be. They've really just like the caps lock thing, which is really cool. They've paid attention to like these basic things this year. And I think they've improved everyone, everything that they've touched in this arena. Yeah. I think maybe it's this series of changes why I'm just so happy with this year. I, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but I just feel like this has been a really good year for Apple. And and this part in particular is uh, makes me happy. Yeah. It warms the cockles of my heart. Mm-hmm. They're so warm right now. <laughs> Every year brings Safari improvements and... This year, I think a feature that a lot of people have wanted is profiles. And this works basically the same way as it does in Chrome or Firefox or other browsers, where you kind of have separate instances of your browser. So you can have like a personal and a work profile and your bookmarks, your history, your logins, so like the cookies that are set, it's all dependent on the profile you are in. So I use this, in Chrome, I, I'm, I've been using Safari as my daily browser again for like a year, but I use Chrome for some things. And I have a bunch of different profiles in there because there are times where I need to log into like specifically my relay email, like everything Google, right? Like I need to manage something in our Google workspace or something on the YouTube channel. Um, and so I have like a little collection of profiles there. And it's always kind of bugged me that Safari doesn't have that. Well, well, now it does. It just lives as a new pane in the settings section of Safari. And you can now have these separate profiles. And they all sync with iCloud, so they're across all your your devices. It's really well done. And I think they've taken what these other browsers do and have built something just as good. So if you've always been bugged by this, uh, now in Safari, I think we're up to Safari version 17, uh, it has gained these these superpowers. It's interesting because this has no interest to me. And I'm just not interested at all, and I celebrate that fact. It's like I've got to the point in my life where I don't need separate profiles. I'm going to call that a victory. But I get mm-hmm. it, and there were times in my life I needed it, and I'm glad it's in Safari now. Yeah. And it, uh, frankly, they're a little late to the game on this. I mean, yeah. I think every other browser has been doing this. Chrome's had it like 100 so, years. <laughs> yeah. But But I'm glad it's there. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are really happy to have it. Yeah. Another feature in Safari that there have been lots of third-party utilities that do this, like Unite and Coherence and Fluid App and others. Uh, you can now save a website as an app through Safari. And when you do that, 
uh, it's under the file menu. You say add to doc is the name of the command. And you can name it. You can give it its own custom icon. And then it gets saved as a uh, as like a little application. And it gets actually saved as a dot app in your home folder. So you can launch it through Spotlight and, and all the other sort of tools that you could use. But it shows up in the dock. And when you click on that, you just get a window that is just that. Um, so for something like Threads, for instance, a lot of people are using no Mac app, right? You can just save it as an app through Safari and have it as its own thing. Uh, maybe that's how you want to interact with Slack or or other online tools. So again, something that has been around in other browsers and with other tools, and Apple's doing it now in Safari. And I think their implementation, while kind of basic, it covers all the the necessary things and uh, definitely works super well. Yeah, and I'm glad that that's a native feature. And I, I don't think this is Sherlocking these other developers because if you look, these other developers are already coming out with new features that Apple's not going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's all good. I think uh, this is a, a good development for the platform and I'm glad it's here. And I'm sure that there's lots of listeners that have like apps they want to uh, web-based apps. Like if you, if you use Gmail, I think I, I always will tell people just use Gmail and the Gmail web, because that's what it's made for. Uh-huh. But, but you're on the Mac, right? And you do want to have a separate app. You don't want to have a browser tab open all day for Gmail. Well, yeah. now you just make your Gmail app and you're good. The last thing I would say in Safari is you can now select multiple tabs and do things with them. So you can select multiple tabs and close them or put them in a new tab group or pin a bunch of them. Just a nice little time saver. All those things have been one tab at a time. And I think tab groups kind of showed that uh, to Apple and to others that, hey, it'd be nice if I could interact with more than one tab at once. So that's a nice little, just little, little feature on top. Yeah, and I'm sure that you know there are people at Apple that have been annoyed by that forever, and and now they got it checked off the list, uh, just like that website security feature. So you know sometimes websites send you a code via mail, just like two-factor authentication will text you. And for years now, if you got the text, it autofilled for you. Well, now it'll autofill from the mail for you. And I believe you need to be using Apple Mail for that to work. I didn't test it with third-party mail apps. I don't know. My guess would be yes, uh, that, that you do have to be using mail, but I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Either way, it's very convenient, and it's just kind of a little quality of life improvement that we got with Safari. A whole, whole other category this year, I think in addition to, maybe this is a, an addition to my text category, it's PDFs. I mean, PDFs, there's just a bunch of stuff we got this year from PDFs that have been friction points on PDFs forever, and now they're so much better. In PDFs now, they've got a great system for autofilling PDFs. You know, someone sends you a PDF and it's like a scan of a, of a Word doc that was poorly written, it's crooked, and they scanned it and they sent it and said, fill out this form. And there's, you know, there's no way to fill that out using like any sort of automation or tab key or anything because it's just a picture. Mm-hmm. Well, now uh, PDFs, both in notes and in preview, you just click a button and it goes through and finds them all for you. We did a video on this in the Max Sparky Labs because when I did the um, the indoor studio build, I forgot to tell the association that I finished. <laughs> so they did that. They sent me one of those forms that was made by someone who obviously hates other people because it was like so poorly scanned and crooked and everything. So 
I just pushed the button, it filled it in, I'm hitting the tab keys, I filled it out in all of like 10 seconds. And uh, there have been other apps in the past that have done that, but none of them as good as this one. You can even grab your signature tool and fill it in. Um, it's just awesome. And, you know, to capitalize on PDFs, um, when you put them in notes now, they're not just a quick look link to a note file. Now you can actually do markup in the notes application. So uh, I feel like there's a new workflow that I'm kind of developing around notes. Like I still love DevonThink and I still use that as my depository and everything, but there are certain types of documents that don't really need that. And an example for me, I like to do woodworking. I buy tools once in a while. I download the PDFs for any tools I buy. And mm -hmm. so now I've got some notes in there with those in it, but I can go and highlight them and stuff in the notes app. And it's just sitting there waiting for me in notes. And I think for a lot of people who don't want to go all in with something like Devon think it's almost a paperless tool at this point because it's so good with these PDFs and it searches them as soon as you put them in. So you can search the OCR text uh, right in the application. I mean, all of this stuff, it doesn't sound like much, but then when you put it together, it actually builds a new workflow for you. Yeah, it's it's super interesting that this far into our computing lives, uh, they, were, they were getting some of these improvements to what seemed like basic things like, like PDFs, but it's all super welcome. And, and there's kind of a theme here with all these productivity updates in Sonoma is taking things that we do every day and just sanding down some friction points, right? And I'm all for that. I think that's what this platform needs at this point in its life. And yes, we're getting new features like widgets, but the stuff I'm most excited about, like, oh man, I can link notes to each other. Like PDFs and notes don't stink anymore. Like <laughs> all these things are great. And, and I've really come to enjoy them across the ecosystem. And then the linking notes thing is something that we should mention. Um, Nick Milo, who's been a guest on the show, yes. uh, linking your thinking with Obsidian, he uses this term. I don't know if he came up with it or got somewhere else, but he probably made it up. Nick's a smart guy. MOCs, he calls them maps of content, right? Where he's got a page with links to other pages. It's almost like a little directory for an idea he's working on. And you can absolutely build those now mm -hmm. in notes. You just, you write down, in fact, they have a keyboard shortcut command K, but even better on the Mac, just two greater than symbols. I don't know, did you figure this out? Oh yeah, you did. It's in the outline. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you just type two greater than symbols, then it autofills, but it looks at the ones you've worked on most recently, which is almost always the one you're linking. It's just somebody, you know, they, they thought of the idea. And so often at, you know, at these big companies, they have an idea, then they go to lunch and they come back and they work on something else. I feel like, all these improvements this year, they came back after lunch and they continued, right? And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, we'll put a keyboard shortcut and we'll make it so it looks for the recent stuff so it's easier to use. So you can put together your own little maps of content. Now, granted, this is not bilateral linking and um, you know all the things you get with a tool like Obsidian, but it's the basics of being able to link notes together. And if that's all you need, you get it for free now on your Mac. Yeah, and I think it's plenty for again, most people, right? Apple has to walk that line of making things for everybody. And this is going to be fantastic for most people, especially, I mean, I, I have, I've discovered this amongst my friends that a lot of people are using notes as a, as a type of project manager, almost like tons of things. And they also have one long note with all these headers in it. 
And now you yeah. don't have to do that. You could put them all in a folder or not have them in a folder and just link to things and pull things in as you need them. And I love that they kind of co-opted the command K shortcut because that's in a bunch of Apple apps. But there's also yeah. just the keyboard shortcut of the two greater than signs. It's really well thought out. And I, I really applaud the team that put it together because it, it brings the feature without some of the complexity that more dedicated apps have sort of put on top of it. I think they've struck a good balance with that. Yeah. And what one more update to notes this year is they've closed the loop with pages. So if you get a note that becomes a project manager and then gets like out of control and you want to turn it into something in pages, there's a button. You push mm -hmm. the button, sends it to pages, it creates a document and you can go from there, which I think is the kind of synergy I'd like to see from Apple applications. Like, okay, yeah. you've graduated out of notes. Now you're a pages document. Congratulations. But we are going to do a show on notes later in the year or early next year. Steve and I have already started our little research projects. So if you are using notes in interesting ways, send us a note. Well, you know, see how I did that? Oh, that was good. Send us, an e send us an email. There's a feedback form at the website. Let us know what you're doing that's interesting. We're curious. Yeah, absolutely. Apple Mail, not as good of a year, uh, I felt like. Um, you know, last year was was Banner. This year, we got a few features. It does. Uh, it looks for travel related email, like hotel reservations, and it puts them to the top of the inbox as your date approaches. That's kind of cool, you know. I haven't really used it. Have, you've done some travel. Has it worked for you as you've been working with the betas? I mean, I've had uh, when I've traveled, I've had my main computer with me, so I have not traveled with Sonoma yet. But uh, I'm also a MimeStream user. Uh, but that is one yeah. thing I do use Apple Notes for. Any trip, I make an Apple Note with like all my stuff in it. But this is the sort of thing mail should do for you, right? It should be more proactive in suggesting things. And I would love them to go further with this. Like I could see a world where you have a meeting on your calendar and th then it creates some sort of view of like, hey, these are all the emails you've had with this person recently that this meeting is with. Like this should be smarter. There should be more intelligence with this sort of thing. But uh, we will... Uh, We'll see how far they push it. You know, mail got that big, big update last year. This year's a little slower. So I don't know what the cadence is anymore, right? Like notes and reminders get stuff every year. I would hope mail would be on that train too, but who knows? Well, we need another year of data, but I feel like like this feature should be one of like 15 or 20 features like this. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be the single banner feature. Yeah. You can add big emoji to your messages. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm using Apple Mail. I, you know, I, I go back and forth with various email applications. I went mm -hmm. through a phase uh, this year where I spent a bunch of time trying out email applications again, and and ended up back at Apple Mail because I can Apple script it. It's really, it's really reliable, but I'm not super happy with it. And uh, I would love to see Apple put more effort into this. Yeah, me too. Reminders. Uh, I think it was a bigger year for reminders. Uh, the the thing that really stood out for me is the Kanban view or Kanban view. I never know how to say that, but you can put sections under a list. So uh, for project management type things, you could say like active, hold, planning, and then you can move your tasks through the phases in a Kanban view. And it looks really good on a Mac. You know, that's really yeah. one of the nice things about it. You know, 
I've spent a lot of time in reminders in the last few weeks just kind of looking at it because there's so many labs members using it. I'm trying to figure out the best way to teach it. And it's it's cool. You know, I, I still feel like reminders needs work. Um, but the uh, but the Kanban view, I think, was not something I would have expected with all the lists of things they need to do, like defer dates. <laughs> uh, I feel like this was uh, further down the list than I would have expected, but it's still nice that it's there. And and this is an app you get for free. So you want to get a Kanban view that you can have on all your Apple devices, even if you're not using reminders for a task manager, mm-hmm. it's good for that, you know? And yeah. um, a- another one, which I think is a, kind of in hindsight obvious but very smart is grocery lists i mean i love it i know i use reminders for grocery lists you do mm-hmm. um and all it does is it goes through and it puts tomatoes you know in the vegetable gang and the you know it, it organizes things for you yeah by section smart and if it gets it wrong so so the idea is when you're walking through the grocery store and you're in the produce section you just look at your produce section and reminders and get everything but obviously they don't know how every single layout, you know, of, of every of every single grocery store. And so there's a feature where if it miscategorizes something or you just don't like how it categorizes something, you can move that item. And when you type that item again in two weeks or whatever, it will remember the section that you put it in as the user and keep it in that section. So smart. Uh, the grocery list thing is so cool. I was in the beta this summer. My wife was not. And I was like, just wait until you see this because we split the grocery shopping. I do it a lot, but so does she. And having it, uh, having it where you can like open a section and walk through the store. It's, it's so smart. Yeah. I mean, I'm so torn on reminders because I do think that it's made a lot of progress, but there there's just, there's still issues. Mm-hmm. It's also got the ability to fill in data from like contacts and whatnot with their with a fill in feature. Um, I, I don't know how much I'm going to use that, but it's it's a it's an example of a thing that only Apple could really do, capitalizing on data they already have access to. Yeah, I think this is a nice to have. In the beta, it didn't come up for me very much, so I, I kind of am with you there, but the data is there. And so why not pull it in? Right. They do it other places. You type in someone's email address and it fills it out based on a contact card or previously sent emails. Um, one thing that is new that I, in this arena that I actually don't like is if you start typing the name of a task and it thinks you're going to enter the name of a task that you've completed previously, that will be the autofill suggestion. Like say, you know, I start typing order. And it says, okay, order medicine, order meals. Like, I just don't have a lot of tasks that I need the same name for. And it kind of clutters the view because, like, it hides the other metadata. I don't love that. But the other stuff I'm sort of ambivalent about. Okay, let's go over to stage manager. The um, John Voorhees wrote a, we, we haven't mentioned this yet. John wrote a great review on Sonoma over at Mac Stories. I think they've kind of settled that Federico does mobile and John does Mac. Yeah. And he was not impressed with stage manager. No, he was not. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm not sure if power users can even objectively review stage manager sometimes because it's just not a power user feature. I just don't think it was ever intended to be, but, but it did get more confusing this year, didn't it? It did. So they've added the, the shift click to, 
stage manager, which is like not even a thing that exists really elsewhere in macOS. Like everything's a control click. I don't know why it's shift. It's very strange to me. And when you shift click on a stack, so the thumbnails over on the left-hand side, it pulls the bottom app from the stack and adds it back to the stage. And he goes on to say that any other apps in the stack are then like separated out. And it means that if you want to move a single app to another stack, you're like pulling the whole thing apart and you spend even more time managing things than you used to. I just don't know what they're doing. I mean, it feels like Federico's review said on iPad OS, stage manager was better, but on the Mac, it seems worse. And I just don't know who it's for. Like, I know people use it. I know people who like it, but it is certainly not for everyone. And I think as long as they're like fundamentally changing how it works, like the very basics of it, it's even hard to settle into it, right? Because it's going to change your, it's going to change out from under you again in a year. So I'm hopeful that they, I'm glad they're continuing to work on it. Um, I had gotten the vibe. uh, I'll leave it at that, that, stage manager like didn't go over well and apple knew it and that there was a push from some people to abandon it like leave it as it is and just slowly get rid of it you know pulling a touch bar is what we call that now but (laughs) clearly the people who like it and want to improve it won out and i'm glad for that because there are people that it really works for and in a way it makes the mac much more approachable to new users or users who are, are really familiar with ios and ipad os and not so familiar with the mac but it comes at the this cost of complexity that changes over time. And so I'm just hopeful the dust settles and then we can kind of really understand this feature because it feels like the fun, if the fundamentals are still up for grabs, then it's really hard to like have judgment about how it makes sense. I feel like the, um, the shift behavior, cause I I've been running it again for the last week. Cause I, I keep trying stuff, right. It's got to work somehow, but the, uh, one of my big complaints about it in the first year was you open an app and then you want to add an app to it. Well, it creates a new stage basically for that new app. So then you got to go through the, the rigmarole of like combining them where a shift click by being additive allows you to just shift click on it in, in the pool of stages. And then it combines it with the existing one and you're good. It, it does simplify the process, but the problem is it's, is, it, it is truly additive. So if you accidentally do it and you've got another set of apps open, it's a, it's like untying a knot to like put yeah. it back together the way yeah. you want. And, and so they made it easier on the front end and harder on the back end this year. It's kind of my impression, but, but uh, I don't know. Like I look at like my kids and my wife, my, my non-power user like prototypes here and like, they like this stuff. They like that they've got the little groupings on the side. They don't like spaces, but they like stage manager. They mm-hmm. want to be able to see it. And so I think there is, there's a group of users out there for whom this makes sense, but I, I don't know that they've entirely nailed the model yet either. And you're right. If they keep changing it, then the normal people are going to get confused because it doesn't do the same thing all the time and they're going to abandon it too. Yeah. So it's a weird year. Uh, but I'm glad it's still here and I would like to see it get, I'd like it to see it get some more attention. I, I think they're close. 
of all the models they've done for non-power users, which I know a lot of our listeners are are very much power users, but I think for the stuff that for people who are not going to like get into the types of window management we talk about, like my wife is never going to run Moom, you know, that's just not going <laughs> to happen. And so, but there needs to be a solution for people like that. And I feel like this is the closest they've ever come. So I, I would like to see them try and get this one in the end zone. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, products, services, and even content. So maybe you're starting a new business and you need a website, or maybe you're part of a civic organization, or just have something you want to share with the world. Where Squarespace's Fluid Engine makes that super easy. It's their next-generation website design system. You start with a beautiful template, you customize every design detail, and you use their reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop and mobile to build out your site. It's built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace site, and it really is fantastic. You can set up an online store to sell your products, physical and digital. They have all the, the things you need there. And if you need to send out emails, Squarespace also has email campaigns built in. So you can encourage visitors to sign up. You can customize your email so it looks just like your website. And then the analytics that Squarespace has are built in to all of those emails. I love building on top of Squarespace, uh, mainly because it is really easy to get something up and running, but then you can evolve it with you over time. So maybe you don't need a store on day one, but you realize a year in, oh gosh, I need a store. How do I go about that? Well, with Squarespace, you just turn it on and add your pages and you're not rebuilding your site. You're not having to go someplace else. It's all right there with Squarespace. Check out Squarespace today by going to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the code MPU. That's going to save you 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain name. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. All right, let's go through grab bag. There's a whole bunch of, of, of nice little improvements and features. Do you want to start with AirPod switching? Uh, it's faster. I mean, it's, it's, it's never been perfect, but it's always been good, right? Where your AirPods go from your phone to your iPad to your Mac. Um, but I've always felt like there's a lot of lag sometimes in that switch. But with the thing I noticed with a new one is the switch is much faster. When it decides it's going to pair to your AirPods, it's going to make the switch over. It happens faster. It still sometimes misses. Sometimes it leaves the AirPods on the phone, or sometimes it switches them over to the Mac when I want them on the phone. But the switch itself seems a lot faster. Is that a fair? Have you experienced that as well? Yeah, it, it it definitely seems faster, and uh, I'm I've actually because I think that was in like the release notes even for like iOS. Like, hey, this is better. I had the feature turned off because it was kind of janky <laughs> before. Yeah, but I've got it back on now, and it's not bulletproof. Like, there are still times where you can confuse it, but on the whole, this feature is much better, and it is really cool to like be listening to something on your phone and then sit, sit down at your Mac or your iPad and hit play on something and the audio just moves over. Like 
is so smart and uh and it is definitely better not perfect but way better i would re- recommend doing some sort of audit you know if you're uh got different airpods and you've got different devices like i have these airpods max i just use them when i'm like editing screencasts and doing stuff on my mac so they only connect to my mac and i don't have to worry about it but for the ones that go in my pocket i do like them going in between and this really is cool mm-hmm. another grab bag item that i think you're going to notice immediately because the setup process asks you if you want to use it. It's the new screensaver and wallpaper situation. They are still separate. You can still have your own custom desktop and your own screensaver, but if you want to, and and again, the setup asks you if you want this, you can merge those experiences. And if you have an Apple TV, you are no doubt familiar with the amazing Apple TV screensavers. They're slow motion, super smooth drone shots over the desert, or they had a camera on the International Space Station or, you know, over an airport, like amazing shots from all around the world. And many of those, actually 120 of them, have been brought to macOS. And the default one is like, I guess, from the Sonoma Valley in California, but you can pick your own. And there's this amazing effect that you walk up to your Mac, the screensaver's going, you authenticate with Touch ID or your password on the updated lock screen, and then that screensaver fades to a stop, and that's your wallpaper. It is so cool and looks so awesome. I have long said that like if I if I had to go work for Apple and I had to like I got to pick my job it would be very hard to turn down manager of Apple TV screensavers. I think they're just doing super cool creative work and bringing that to the Mac is awesome. So now when you go into system settings and you go to screensaver, you see all of these options and they're in different categories and you can download them. They're not downloaded by default because these files are really big. Um, And then all the traditional screensavers are now under other, including any third party ones you have installed. But you can really have like these beautiful views. And I think it's so cool that they brought this to the Mac. There was a third-party app that lets you do this. And basically, it just looked at the server that Apple served these off of and would download them. And the files were enormous, and you had to kind of manage it. This is way nicer than that. But that smoothing to a stop to be your wallpaper, like I played with it for like 10 minutes when I first set up Sonoma because I thought it was so beautiful. Yeah, and like it means you get a different wallpaper every time mm-hmm. because it stops at a different spot. And uh, man, I, I love them too. I hope they add more. I don't know if they will or not. If they had, if they hired you, Stephen, I'm sure there'd be more because you'd be like, okay, guys, let's, let's go. go. Yeah, that'd be so much fun. Yeah, but the um, the, but so what are your favorites as you uh, as you sit here? I mean, I, I'm a sucker for the underwater ones. It's like. Yeah, You know, they're all really beautiful, but also any of them that show like sections of the world at night where you can see like city lights and uh, they're all so good. It's really hard to choose, but, um, they're, they're really sweet. And I think it's, uh, I think it's super fun. They didn't have to do this, let alone do it in such a nice way, but it, it really brings some class and like some, some polished in an area of Mac OS that I, you know, you don't think about it very often. 
Yeah, I feel like it's overdue and it's well done again. The uh, I I like all the ones with the dolphins and the whales, and yeah. there's even some inside inside waves. Those are cool. Yeah. Um, I, I I thought you would be all in with all the Earth ones, you know, all the space space mm-hmm. ones, but uh, the, those are good. I also really like the landscapes. I I have one of Half Dome up that I uh, I cannot change. I just keep I, every time I look yeah. at it, I think about it. But the uh, yeah, nice nice job, Apple. Mm-hmm passwords now you can share collections of passwords with friends and family that's cool i mean apple is just slowly building a password app i guess you know yep (laughs) it's still locked away in settings which is just such a crime against the work that these people are doing like put it in an app what is clever about the sharing and this is also true for AirTag sharing and find my it's not automatic to your icloud family people even though that may be who you're most likely to share with but you can yeah. share them ad hoc. And so I could create a, t- a group called MPU and just share a couple of things with you and have a group called Connected and share them with those co-hosts and a group called Family and share those with Mary. And uh, it lets you do it in many more flexible ways. And that's fantastic um, that you can set up this group, you can add things to the group and everybody just gets it. Uh, to me, it's like, I just don't understand why it's not a standalone app. Even if it was just the same UI in the dock and it said passwords, more people would would discover it. One thing that has been interesting to me, because I put together my macOS screenshots, you can like go through and look at all the, the images of Sonoma, is that when you launch Keychain, it now tells you, hey, you probably wanted passwords. And then it like has a link to open those passwords and settings. And so they yeah. are, I think, slowly getting people over there, but it's wild to me. I think it's also because pe- people are doing damage when they go into Keychain. It's very easy oh, to mess yeah. things up. In no keychain. one should go. So, do not go in Keychain. Like no one should. Um, it's like console, right? Like no one needs to. No one needs to know what happens in there. But uh, I look forward to the day, and I think it's coming. I think Apple will at some point make it an app again, even just a wrapper around the current UI. Because they seem to be taking this pretty seriously. Um, there's also passkey support for your Apple ID, and uh, passkey is slowly rolling out to a bunch of big and small websites across the internet, where you it basically uses your device authentication to let you in. So you'd use Face ID or Touch ID. Um, so Apple is moving on this, and I know people who work at Apple are taking this very seriously, and that's good. But I think they need to continue to to move it forward. Well, they need an app at this point. Really. Make it an That's app. my opinion. Yeah. Uh, photos, kind of a light year in photos, but they got the most important feature. Now I can search photos for my dog. So, so good. Do so we need good. to say anything else about photos? Uh, that's the most important thing. Um, visual lookup can now detect food and meals, amongst other things. Visual lookup can also show, it's been able to show you plants for a long time. It can show you error messages on your car dashboard and it can tell you what all those funny little symbols mean on your tag to your your clothing like can this go in cold water hot water dry clean only you know no one knows that might, as well, might as well be hieroglyphics no one knows what those things mean uh so all that's in visual lookup now but yeah the biggest thing is you can set up face albums for pets so i've got one for our dog i have one for our cat because the kitten we saved in the summer just lives with us now permanently and um, it works just like faces for people, right? It has suggestions. You can add them to it. You can set the key photo. You can name them, all that stuff. 
pretty pretty good. I'm gonna share a marital problem with you. Okay. Nobody's nobody's listening. You know, my wife and I. I love her dearly, and she has been the most important person in my life for 36 years now. Mm-hmm. However, she cannot eat a meal without taking a picture of it. Oh I, yeah. I do. I don't understand that. I don't understand it at all. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she's doing a bunch of Instagram stuff and I'm not paying attention. Or, <laughs> I mean, I think that I don't think that's an uncommon problem. I'm, I'm sure that's why they added the feature that you can search meals. But I just don't get it, man. Yeah, I don't get it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners do the same thing, but I just can't. Uh, I just when the food shows up, I you know what I want to do with it. I want to put it in my mouth. That's what I want to do. I feel that I, I agree with you, but you know we're not we're not cool and hip like your wife yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Well that that is a certainty. <laughs> um either way, yeah. Photos kind of a light year. Uh gaming this year was interesting. They added what they call gaming mode, which gives the Mac it kind of takes over the CPU and the GPU, gives them priority to run your game so things are smoother in your game, higher frame rates, better gaming experience. And I just feel like overall it was kind of a, a good year for that. Yeah, I've been uh, starting to goof off more with some of the Apple Arcade games. None of them seem like the kind of games that need gaming mode, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, it's there. Um, and uh, and they had at this Apple game porting kit uh, toolkit. And I I'm going to talk to Shahid, or we're going to get somebody in here. But I want to find out how big of a deal that is over time. It's just kind of a new thing. Yeah, if you do the research. Uh, because DirectX 12 is now very easy to port, that makes it easy to take higher end games to the Mac. But we haven't seen a whole lot of press releases since that got announced that people are doing it. Yeah, this is uh, time will tell. I think what all this means if the gaming porting toolkit is actually useful to developers, what game mode can actually do. Apple's been pushing for years and years that the iPhone and the iPad are excellent gaming machines, and we could debate whether that's true or not. They've even gone as far as adding game controller support a few years ago, where you can hook up a PlayStation controller, an Xbox controller, and a bunch of others. And now with Apple Silicon, the Mac gets to be in that conversation as well. Now, is the best GPU in a Mac equal to the best GPU in a gaming PC? No. Apple still has work to do. But their software has also held them back. And so they're they're pushing on both sides of this. And I agree with you. It's too early to know what it means and uh, if it means anything at all. Because Apple's track record here isn't great. But the difference now is they have the same silicon and the same APIs everywhere. And so if developers really take advantage of Metal and really take advantage of what Apple Silicon is good at, then these games should run really well on a Mac. Whether developers are interested in that or not, unknown. So last thing I wanted to talk about is this year, which was different than any we've had in a good way. Um, it just seems to me like this was a very smooth year from Apple for software updates. And let me make the case. You know, we went to WWDC. We both got to go there. That was a fun time. We got to see, you know, the the keynotes and and they have this quality of life year that we were talking about. All the betas come out. There's no real game changers, but at the same time, there's no showstoppers either. Everything just kind of works. And then they release iPhone and iPad on the same day, which they haven't done in years. And they release the Mac the following week, which they haven't done in years. 
And it just seems to me like they had a really good year. I mean, the stuff they decided to work on is useful to the users and fun, as we've evidenced throughout the show today. And it all pretty much worked. And we just haven't had a year like that in some time. I think it's fantastic. I think part of it is the Apple Silicon transition is done. And while they're still supporting Intel machines with macOS, like we talked about at the beginning, clearly they're sort of back to regular releases of things. And and that's great. Um, I think uh, another part of this may be that it feels like for a minute, Apple sort of forgot that the Mac was different than the iPad. And there's still some weird edge cases. See our conversation about stage manager, but like the widgets, they added them to the Mac in a pretty interesting way. That's unique to the Mac. And they didn't, and they didn't do so. They didn't do so while destroying what makes the Mac desktop a pretty useful environment, right? There was a time where they would have shoved it into launch pad and made that the desktop, right? They didn't do that. They said, what exists on the Mac? Where can we fit in? And those that sort of process, that sort of thinking is good for the Mac. And I think there was more of that this year than we've seen in past years. Yeah. But I also think there's got to be, I'd love to hear the story behind this because, you know, we're not on the inside. But, I mean, did they increase engineering so they weren't as stretched? Are they getting better at, managing it or more realistic goals about what they can do in a year. I, I do think part of it is they've done major architectural changes now for years, you know, the 32 to 64 bit transition, the, you know, if you look back, there have been a lot of what I would call boil the ocean projects at Apple over the last 10 years, as they've been working towards this, you know, swift UI kind of simplified world. And I think all of that is starting to pay off. I think so too. Uh, I think that we we're seeing sort of the end, maybe not the end results, but we're seeing moves that have been playing out for years. Like it wasn't that long ago. We were talking about Catalina breaking all 32 bit apps forever, right? Well, that was necessary. So they could move their APIs forward with Apple Silicon and they merged a lot of like code base between Mac OS, iOS and iPad OS, like realigned things. And that meant there were a few rocky years, right? How long did we talk about Catalina and what that meant for a lot of workflows and the the apps and tools people relied on, right? A lot of software died that year. And then we had Big Sur and these UI changes. And now things like the new microphone and camera controls in the menu bar, those make a lot of sense in Big Sur. The way they look and the way they act didn't fit in with the old UI, but we had to make that transition. And now it just feels like we're in calmer waters. And instead of focusing on change, they can focus on improvement. And that's not to say more change isn't coming. Change is always coming. But it does feel like we're in this sort of moment where everything Apple was doing for so long is like finally kind of all aligning as uh, as the chips fall. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it felt kind of like, the normal was the stuff is really hard and it's now super complicated and all of their, they have multiple platforms that have to talk to each other and we're just not going to be able to get back to a time when they can release all of the software within the span of a week. And it's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. But then this year they did it. And, 
And uh, I really like it. And I want to acknowledge that. I feel like, you know, good, good on you, Apple, for pulling that off. But I want more of it. <laughs> you know, I'd, I would like this to become the new normal. Yeah. Even if it means that some features get held back an extra year, just so we have these nice, smooth transitions each year to new updates. And if something needs an extra year, then so be it. So long as it has a smooth transition too. I don't want any more of this drama. Um, uh, the other thing that I got thinking is, you know, there is a thing about forced constraints that it does make what you do better. And, you know, the story behind the story this year is that a significant portion of Apple's uh, talent is working on building an entirely new operating system called Vision OS. And, you know, they're putting tons of effort into that. And does the fact that so many people are working on that, is that partially responsible why this went well? It sounds Mm. counterintuitive, but it may not be. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a time where a lot of people thought that, oh, the more Apple looks and touches the Mac, the worse it gets. And that was a terrible feeling. And yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. I think Apple would say it wasn't true, but I kind of felt that way. And I do think it's interesting, right? Like, has the push to get Vision OS out the door, has that left fewer but more passionate people left on the Mac? It's interesting. Interesting to think about. Yeah. Well, and it's just, this is a data point. You know, maybe next year we'll be back to the thing where iPhone comes out, and then a month later, iPad, then a month later, Mac. But but I hope that that's not true. I hope that they've found their rhythm through whatever happened this year and that they're able to repeat it going forward. But yeah. Either way, it, it is quite an accomplishment. It, this is not a small task to update the operating systems on all these very popular and yeah. very prevalent systems in the hardware and uh, it was. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that. I, I think it was a good year for Apple. Uh, I do too. Either way, thank you to our sponsors: One Password, Telscale, Clean My Mac X, and Squarespace. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm/mpu. If you'd like to get the ad-free extended version of the show, why don't you sign up for more Power Users? That's right there at relay.fm/mpu. Today, for the more Power Users segment, we're going to be talking about all the tech Stephen used at the podcastathon. Uh, Either way, we will see you next time.